Hello, it's Robert Bathurst here. I was one of the first guests on My Time Capsule, and Mike has asked me to tell you that you can now listen to the podcast ad-free by subscribing to Acast Plus. Details of how to join are in the description of each episode. Mike says it's very reasonably priced. In fact, Mike says it's a bargain. And who am I to disagree? Locked here in his cellar. Anyway, for a small subscription, Acast Plus, My Time Capsule, ad-free. Free. Unlike me. Life is full of what-ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard Fixed Indemnity Insurance Plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello, and welcome to My Time Capsule. I'm Mike Fenton-Stevens, and My Time Capsule is a podcast where people tell me the five things from their life that they would like to preserve in a time capsule, four things that they cherish, and one thing they'd like to forget about. Quite simple, really. My guest in this episode is the actress Ella Kenyon. Ella is probably best known for playing Mrs Cakeworthy in John Sullivan's Only Fools and Horses spin-off, The Green Green Grass, with the late John Chalice and a future guest of my time capsule, hopefully, Sue Holderness. Well, she sort of promised. Ella also played the role of Julie in the ITV sitcom Hardware with Martin Freeman and has played parts in Shakespeare and Hathaway, Warren, 101 Dalmatian Street, Detectorists, We Know Where You Live, New Tricks, Law and Order UK, Episodes, and talking of episodes 31 episodes of Swashbuckle and 52 episodes of Q Poodle 5, Cuckoo, Doctor Who and what I assume to be its spin-off show, Doctors, Plus, Black Books, The Catherine Tate Show, Casualty, Doc Martin, Rosemary and Time, Benidorm, Midsummer Murders, Holby City, and the film Stan and Ollie, to name but a few. And I haven't even mentioned any of her theatre work. Hopefully those things will come up as we discover the five things that Ella Kenyon wants to put in her time capsule. There's an option when you have Zoom that I think they expect you to have, which is called the waiting room. Oh. And if you invite someone to join you on Zoom, you can choose for them to go to a waiting room and then you admit them to the recording or you admit them to the meeting. Which I think is a sort of a thing that's designed to make bosses feel powerful. (laughs) Yeah. Everybody who's doing this for me is doing it as a favour. Yeah. So I don't like to keep them hanging around in a waiting room before I decide, yes, I'm willing to let you come in I now. might let you in. I did say 11 and I did mean 11, mm. you know, whatever it is. No, no. I say, but it always takes people by surprise. They go on to Zoom and there I am. Yeah, it's lovely. 
I mean, how many times have you, you know, because I'm sure like me, you do your voiceovers from home. Mm. And how many times, I mean, I've waited there sometimes 45 minutes because they're still sorting the script or they're, you know, faffing about. And one time I had to do it with um, another actress whose name I won't mention because I can't remember her name. But um, (laughs) it was everything I'd feared I would be and I felt so glad and smug I wasn't her. Yeah, I don't, I don't really do this. Um, no, I haven't pressed... Oh, well, I don't know when you can't hear me. Um, you know, lots of utter fury. I'd forgotten my reading glasses. Yes, I don't have them. Oh, get down, Shep! <laughs> I mean, thank God for Zoom. And I've seen more of my family since this fucking pandemic because of fucking Zoom. So, you know, I remember we were really keen. I suppose everybody was really keen at the first lockdown, weren't we? What's that one that where everybody was encouraged to have a party on it? Was that that house party thing? House where you, party, yeah, yeah, we all did. Everybody didn't we? had a house party, didn't they? Yeah. And all these people came on, and they're all in little boxes all over the place. Yeah, and nobody could talk while anybody else was talking, and it was absolute chaos. It was useless. Absolutely pointless, wasn't it? It was their chance to become multi-millionaires, and they fucked it up. And they fucked it, didn't they? Mm. Right up there. And then I found a couple of people that I hadn't spoken to forever would suddenly be there. Like, they'd suddenly... Um, oh, yeah. Sort of, and you'd be like, oh, well, I... <laughs> Sort of like I had one where sort of, a complete stranger joined you. Did you really? Because that yeah, happens. It's a party and you can just join in if you want to. Look, yeah, no thanks. Can, no, hang on Not a minute. For me. No, on a I don't even like people. Oh, I'm better at it now, Mike, but I don't really like people just stopping by, <laughs> which is very tricky because I live virtually on a kibbutz here. Mm. And of course, it's a lovely sort of walk as well. So people think, oh, Ella lives down here and they'll knock and I'll go, did you, well, did you text? I... <laughs> Let me just check my appointment book. Yeah, I'm not sure. That but of course they know you're fucking in, don't they? Because we're an actor. <laughs> Too late then, you've answered wrong. the door. <laughs> yeah, I know. Because <laughs> I thought it was something I'd ordered off Amazon. <laughs> uh, you want to get Sorry. one of those. Now, this is the really good idea. You get one of those things, you know, that they have a camera on your door and it sends a message to your phone saying somebody's at your door, like a yeah. delivery man. And you can be anywhere in the world and you look at it on a beach in Barbados and go, hello, yeah, yeah could you put the parcel in the cupboard round the back? The code is this. And and they do it. But you can do it from your own house and you say, hello, uh, you know, sorry, I'm, I'm in the Lake District, but... Um, <gasps> That's so clever and you're indoors because, of mm. course, I have this thing. I got the cheap knockoff version and the batteries run out every two days. And because I live <laughs> in a cottage that you could you could stretch out your arms and probably reach the front and back door. It's just the one room downstairs. Uh, so I hear them approach and fail to press the thing or try and then obviously I'm not answering because I'm right there and I can't. Anyway. Yeah. OK, we're going to talk about the five things you want to put into a time capsule. So let's find out what the things you want to put into a time capsule are. I love the way you started with your baddie. That was clever. Yeah, it was different, yeah, wasn't it? Yeah, I like that. I might slip mine in the middle. I think it's my fault. I present people with the thing as if it's four things you want to keep and one you want to get rid of. Yeah. And they always think, okay, well, that's what I have to do. And then you end on this awful downer. And you go, <laughs> and the suicide of... Great Uncle Tony. Yes. And then, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. okay, well, um, do okay. listen again next week. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, I mean, I'm very happy to start with the baddie or I can put it in the middle. Which would you like? You choose. I'm very happy to do it anyway. I really quite want to get it out of the way. Okay, <laughs> let's do it. Brilliant. Let's I've got to it. be honest. Um, so it was a faux pas of 
Just enormous proportions, for me, anyway. Um, do you know the actor Chris Fulford, Christopher Fulford? He's mm. a terrible, very clever chap, does lots yeah. of sort of police things as well. And when I was at the Royal Exchange, he was there doing Women Laughing, and he's a brilliant actor. And his wife is Camille, I think you pronounce it Kaduri, and she's a gorgeous, blonde, very funny, brilliant mm. woman. I was at a, a book launch in, and uh, <laughs> and I'd done the recruiting officer sort of a few months prior. So I saw Chris for at this book launch, and I have a I have a trait of people pleasing that I don't know that it's that great. You know what I mean? It's really mm. not. And also, as my granny once said, um, be wary of people who are nice to everybody. Because that doesn't make sense. And I thought, oh, oh, shit, I think that might be me. But anyway, um, so I was being all sort of effusive and sucky-uppy to Chris Fulford and saying, oh, he was so great, we were laughing, oh, he was brilliant, and I kept going to see it. And then I saw it when you took it to uh, the Donmar, you know, I was being a real pain. And uh, and then he started talking, and we talked about how tough it is to go from stage to TV and back and forth or whatever, and he was saying, you know, and his wife had just done this, casting for Doctor Who you know and I said oh oh who are you playing um Billy Piper's mom and mm. you know and I'm still really trying to make him like me and I went oh well don't worry the one who got it was shit <laughs> and he went sorry I said no, the, the 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 woman who who what's your wife's name <laughs> <laughs> he said Camille, she played the mother. Now, he didn't leave it there, Mike. Oh. But he's a ballsy man. And he quite rightly, he was going to take me down for this. Mm. But what was so awful was I genuinely love that actress. And I, I th- also think Billy Piper was great in it. But that relationship with the mum and the daughter in that, that new Doctor Who that was relaunched, it was fabulous. They were gorgeous together. And she was brilliant. And I only said it because I was being an obsequious little toad trying mm. to suck up to him. And it was awful. And he kept, oh, it was just terrible. And everywhere I went in the room, suddenly he'd appear again and go, so you really think my wife's a terrible actress to you? Wow. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it was just... I just wanted the ground to open up. It was so hideous. And you can't backtrack, can you? You just can't go, no, look, let me explain. I said that because I wanted to compliment your wife. And in fact, what I should have said is, did your wife get the part? Because whoever played it was great. Yeah, fuck it, Mike. That sounded really good when you said it like that. Uh, Damn it. But we never do, do we? No, we don't. It's a human trait, and therefore you shouldn't feel so bad about it. I mean, it took me years to learn to not to say yes to a question. Oh, my God. It's so true. You know, when people say, um, I watched the film The Death of Us All, uh, do you know it? And you go, yeah. <laughs> and I have no idea what they're talking no. about. And then they say, what was your favourite scene in it? Oh, oh, now oh it's hard to choose. It's very yeah. difficult to choose. There's so very many. Difficult. Well, it was all one scene. The whole thing was one scene. Yeah, so I mean, so many aspects to that. <laughs> oh, you're good, though. You oh, don't need to learn how I to say no. practice. That's what I am. Practice. Is it? Mm. Oh, shit. I just... Many, many times I've put myself in that situation and gone, why didn't you just say, no, I don't know the film. Tell me about it. Yeah. Why couldn't I just shut up and let him... And let him talk about how lovely that was that she'd been in the, you know, waiting for a job and then she got one and how great. And just shut up, Ella, and listen. I mean, so I know part of it's the ADHD, but like, I really do need to be quiet and listen. And sometimes in um, castings as well, like, 
you know, because I, I am overexcited and especially if I'm in the same room as them, which is so rare, or, mm. or on Zoom in the same Zoom. Zoom in the same Zoom. <laughs> but I just get overexcited and I think, yes, yes, I know what you mean. And it's like, no, shh, 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 just listen, listen. <laughs> Terrible. Anyway, so if that could just please be kicked into touch forever, that awful, awful moment, yes. that day, that night, and why it sticks with me, you know, all these years later, it's terrible, isn't it? I kind of, even if I met him, I just know he'd still hate me. Well, he probably wouldn't even remember me, but, you know, oh, uh, God. You see, you're just trying to be nice. I so know. <laughs> you're just trying to be nice. I said it with such venom, Mike. The worst things are when you you think you're making a joke and somebody doesn't get it. Oh. And they think you've insulted them. That's awful. I once did that to John Peel. No. Yeah. Every time I think of it, it makes me go cold. We're going to have to hear. What happened? Oh, we did a radio recording together in front of an audience. He was brilliant in it. Yeah. Extremely funny. He just sort of came onto this thing, did this one scene in front of the audience, and then everybody said, ladies and gentlemen, John Peel. And I said, John, great to work with you. Right now, fuck off. Oh, that's funny, though. That's funny. Well, you would think. But he went, okay, and walked off. And when I came off stage to go, John, it was so lovely to work with you. I really admire He'd gone. Oh, shit. I never knew whether he just went, well, that's rude, and left. Oh, shit. And now you can't ask him. I will never know. I have to live with it. Oh, well, I'm thinking if it bothered him, he might have told someone. And then everyone go, oh, that's my, no, that would have been a joke. And then it will be okay. I hope so. Oh, I think so. I'm almost certain. Mm. (laughs) I'm absolutely (laughs) certain. (laughs) Yes. But he was much better than that other actress. Who yeah, really she, got was the part. Shit. she was shit. She was shit. She said it with such <laughs> venom. She was shit. I'm sorry, what? No, she was, oh, shit. I know what I've done and it's too late and I can't get out of it. <laughs> For the rest of the evening, Chris is walking around saying, that actress is the rudest. Yeah. Don't ever work with and her. And I'd spent all those months at the Royal Exchange sort of fawning around him. You know, <laughs> I mean, mm. okay, anyway, it's done. It's buried. It's buried. It's done and it's gone. It's absolutely That's it now. Gone, I don't Ella. need to remember it again. You'll never have to worry about it again. Don't Great. worry. Right, now let's hear about some nice things. Okay. So, first on my list is the Foreign Office. Mm. Because the family setup is that mum and then real dad and then very quickly stepdad. So, mm. and, and my stepdad, Sir Andrew Burns, uh, worked at the Foreign Office. And it meant that I had the most amazing childhood living in all these different countries uh, oh, wow. India Romania America Canada Israel uh, and then my real dad buggered off to Saudi and then he bought a bar he was an actor for a while and then bought a bar in Mallorca but it meant I was all over I missed all 70s and 80s telly <laughs> and also meant you know that I was at boarding school from a very early age but it it, you know, I'm afraid it did, it taught me about resilience. And it also taught me the worst thing I think about uh, a diplomat's life, and in fact, a publican's life, like my father, so the two dads, is the small talk. It's the volume of small talk is <laughs> astonishing. And I hate it. I mean, I really still hate it now. But at the time, you just got terribly good. And I remember my mum saying, the secret is just to keep asking questions about them. People love talking about themselves, as you know. Mm. <laughs> and that's, I mean, you just have to light the touch paper and off they go. So, and I was so glad she told me that because I think I was a sort of a calcitrant 
early teen and was just like, oh, God, another meeting and another dinner. And, oh, I've got to be polite. And someone's going to say, so how's school? And ugh. <laughs> So thanks to the Foreign Office, I went to a prep school called Ashdown House, which has since been closed because of all the, oh, what's it called? Abuse. Bad things. Hashtag awfulness. So uh, terrible things happened there. And it was a boys' school, but they'd just started taking girls if you were a sibling of a boy already attending. Mm. I wasn't a sibling, but we lived on uh, the Johnson's farm, as in Stanley and Charlotte at the time, and children, Alexander or Boris, uh, Rachel, Leo and Joseph. Mm. And I looked like them anyway. So, uh, and and they were, you know, they looked after me on, you know, the odd uh, half term or holiday, or whatever. So I just went. I was the first one there without a, a sibling, and it was a baptism of fire. But I absolutely loved it. I liked the way that boys resolved arguments. So you'd have the most blazing row, and you might even punch each other or push each other over or something, or mm. give them a really nasty flick of a towel. And then, <laughs> but then it's over. It's over and you move on. I then went to an all-girls boarding school from the all-boys one. I mean, I, it was awful. You're in Coventry for months for something. You're <laughs> shut out of your room naked and body shamed. And I mean, it was just it was just dreadful. The difference between the two. I couldn't. Uh, and, and for years, actually, I didn't really get on with women, which is mad because I'm Fully warrior princess now. Love women. Um, I mean, I had a girlfriend briefly at, at school, and I remember saying to my dad, "You know, I've got. I was think I was fourteen or fifteen. I said, oh, you know, I've got something to tell you." And he went, "Oh Christ, are you pregnant?" Oh my God, I've had sex. <laughs> Jesus, I'm just going to tell you, I've fallen in love with what's her name, Juliet something. She was nicknamed Booley. She had enormous breasts. You know, the <laughs> ones that have like veins down them. They're so huge. Um, and that's as far as I ever got, you know, looking at them, squeezing them a bit and having mm. a snog. But um, God, I'm so sorry for my son who will eventually hear this. You know, many <laughs> well, years down there, he's 14, he'll be fine. <laughs> um, but yes, and I said, no, no, I think I'm, I think I'm gay. And he said, it's a bit ridiculous. Everybody has a fumble at boarding school. I went, no, it's more than a fumble. I'm desperately in love. I'm in love. And I remember actually there was um, the housemistress, Mrs. Hamilton. She caught us in uh, the swimming changing rooms. We were having a snog against the wall in the women's changing rooms. And I just remember her coming in and all I could see was her ass because she she sort of bent over and busily picked up swimming hats. And said, oops, in my office. So, um, <laughs> Nothing happening. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then we had to go to the headmistress's office, who yeah. was gay herself and Miss Farr and had a lesbian lover. And she was, you know, ticked us off or whatever. And I said, well, you know, I don't see what I've done wrong. I'm desperately in love and I've not missed any lessons and, you know, bob no. off. And she quietly agreed. Yes. <laughs> so that was the end of that. <laughs> Quite. Never illegal. Never a law against being a lesbian. I did not know that. Apparently, Queen Victoria would never accept the idea that it was possible. Wow. Mm. I mean, that's just awful, isn't it? I mean, yes. it's awful that, that homosexuality... My great-uncle Frith was a conscientious objector and a gay man, and uh, he's dead now, but he was 90-something when he died. And, you know, and he really didn't... He wasn't really out and about about it at all. It, no. I used to work for him as well as a sort of PA. I remember one time we were going through and there was a file I hadn't come across before and it had all these 
pictures of you know lovely handsome young men in army uniform and this that and the other and they were and they were all his lovers all the different oh. boyfriends and i heard all these stories it was wonderful yeah it's great yeah, absolutely yeah it's astonishing isn't it that people should object to the idea of people being in love oh fuck off i mean mm. it's just ridiculous isn't it mm. and especially you know it's very i think it's really tricky at at school you know you're at that time where um all the big feelings you've ever had have been to do with loving your parents or perhaps if it's grief you know losing one or losing a pet or lose and then suddenly there's all these new big feelings like friendships are huge when you're that age you know they're and I can see how um you know it easily cross over for me to being desperately in love and mm. absolutely I still love her to bits now. I'd probably want to snog her if I saw her today. <laughs> With those, those lovely big, big veiny tits. Little, big boobies. Veiny boobies. <laughs> Why not? God, Why I sound not? like Miriam Margulies. Anyway. <laughs> I don't know how we got there from the foreign office. I'm well, so I sorry. No, I mean, I think it's, um, you know, it's lovely. I know a time when... Without a doubt, if if the law in America comes up in front of the Supreme Court, if somebody questions the legality of homosexuality in America and it goes to the Supreme Court, they'll vote it out. And I think it's just terrifying. That is fucking scary in 2022, isn't it? Isn't it, it just? These are the people who hate the Taliban, apparently. Oh, sure. Mm. <laughs> Crazy. Now, I had a friend who was in the Foreign Office. Oh, did you? Yes, I did, and was a diplomat. Well, he was a diplomat's husband. His wife was a diplomat, and he oh. had the very lovely position of just travelling around the world to different places Lucky. where she was stationed. Sword. Really? Living in these huge places, because they always provide you with, you know, the diplomats' homes, because you have, you have staff and you have... Well, yeah. I mean, it helps if you're in the higher echelons of it. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, I remember it, in the early days when we were in Bucharest, we certainly weren't... We were in a horrid apartment. I mean, we right. were there in 1977 when there was the massive earthquake that killed, you know, 1,500 people. God, my yeah. mum had gone back to Britain to have my brother. So dad and I were still over there and I was at a friend's. Have we time for this? It's not one of yeah. the things. No, um, I was at a, a friend's for a sleepover while he went out for a sort of ambassador dinner type thing. Not that he was ambassador, he was a a lowly something mm. and oh we were so naughty there we lived in this um we, so we're in this apartment block this is before I went to see my friend I was just remembering and uh <laughs> I had a chum who was in the block with me and you know there's it was Ceausescu's era so it's scary and mm. um there were guards in front of the apartment and we lived quite high up so Curtis and I went up to the roof and we poured water down on the guards heads and they <laughs> fired they no. fired back up. That's right. And we got in quite a lot of trouble about that. But this earthquake, I was with my friend who was an American and we were singing on her bed with, with our hairbrushes, mm. you know, like microphones. Are in, and uh, having a high old time and jumping up and down the beds. And we felt the sway. Now, this was a 7.9 on the Richter and wow. many, yeah. many thousands of people died and people felt the shock in, in other countries. You know, it mm. was huge. And obviously all the lights went out and it's pitch black. And I, uh, she, she had a mum. I don't know where the dad was, but, um, and we went, uh, so we were trying to find our way down the stairs, you know, to get out of their apartment building. And I remember coming out onto the street and they had a Volkswagen Beetle. And I, I think this has been distorted in my head, but I seem to remember that they got in and I couldn't get into the car 
I mean, that can't have been right because I know they dropped me eventually at the American embassy. But all I can tell you is I'm, what was I? It was 77. So I was, I was nine or eight. And, um, I was, it was dead, dead, dead bodies, people bleeding, silence. What was so odd was the silence, despite the fact that it was awful, but mm. it was so quiet and it was dust and rubble and blood. And and then uh, and it was so dark because it was nine at night. And of course, there's no lights. or So the they dropped me at the American. I don't know what happened to them. They left me there and I was on a blanket and I waited outside because of course you couldn't, I couldn't tell dad where I was and I'm a Brit, not an American, but I didn't know the British embassy I think had been destroyed. So, Mm. uh, and I remember looking up and there was a chimney on the American embassy that had been dislodged and was going. Mm. And I just remember thinking, yeah, probably best if that just falls and kills me because I'm assuming dad's dead and oh god I guess I'll never see mom again because no one will find me here and you know it was just terrifying and then he found me the earthquake was at nine something he found me at one in the morning god I saw him coming to the um yeah and then I and then we went back to the house which didn't have a top floor and we slept on there were two sofas got all the crap and rubble off that we pushed these two sofas together and we sat there and then he thought it appropriate to say at my first wedding, good luck to you, Andy. All my husbands would be called Andy, Mike. Uh, <laughs> good luck to you, Andy. You know, I spent a night with her in Romania in 1977 and then she just revolved. She just revolves the whole night. And a fucking earthquake! Got so revolved! You're not going to have a good night's sleep after seeing dead bodies, not knowing whether your friend have survived leaving no. the fucking city anyway anyway indeed i'm just delighted that uh, that we got the really awful social faux pas out of the way uh, before you told us all these delightful stories of surviving an earthquake sorry got it all wrong got it all, got it all the wrong way no, that's that's yeah. astonishing is it a nine-year-old to have to witness that yeah, it was quite something. Anyway, so jolly news. Uh, the foreign office is tops. <laughs> Christ, that was only our first one. Shit. The others are really quick. Okay. I will bang, bang, bang through them. <laughs> All right, we're going to put the foreign office into the time capsule. That's your first good thing. So we've had two now. Yes. So what's the third thing? Right at break time. Back in a sec. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promo rate for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. 
like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Okay, end of ad break. Welcome back to part two of my time capsule with Ella Kenyon. I'm not hanging around today. I want to hear what else she wants to put in her time capsule. That would be... Okay, now it might not sound good, but it is. So there's this little pot that my mother gave me, Mm. a little ceramic pot, and it says, you are witty and pretty. And she gave that to me when I was 18, when I'd had, um, it was just bad luck. I had uh, reactive arthritis from food poisoning and uh, was in Spain at the time visiting my dad. And um, it was just bad luck. Uh, Although at the time there were, Lots of news stories about reactive arthritis to STDs and sexually transmitted diseases. So um, I, I think I'd only slept with like one person by then. But the general consensus was that it was a right old flirt and was probably <laughs> banding me foo-foo around town. So I had all these funny letters from, you know, my step-aunts and step-grandparents and stuff saying... Um, now you mustn't let this put you off sex because you're, and I was thinking, what the fuck has sex got to do with that? I've got arthritis from food poisoning. I don't feel like having sex. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's what? painful. And then I remember, I think, I think it might've been that they thought my parents had come up with this food poisoning thing as a cover story or something, but you know, anyway, but, um, it was terrible. And I was in a, a hospital there for over a month while they tried to work out what it was. And there was at one point they thought it might be AIDS, but of course everybody speaks Spanish and I I couldn't understand. They were saying to me, we've done an AIDS test to see if it's that. You know, this was the wow. 80s. Uh, and you don't have uh, nursing out there. So your family and friends are expected to come in. And, you know, and of course, my poor dad, I'd been national health and booper till I was mm. 18. And of course, I just turned 18 and there was no health coverage. So he's got to pay for this enormous bill for the hospital to find out all the tests. And, oh, my God, and he was, you know, he's just started a bar. He doesn't have a lot of money. Uh, anyway, so they, my my parents, my mum and real dad, had had their anniversary in Mallorca, where I was. But she did such kindness. She'd come, she came out to, uh, to Mallorca to see me mm. because I couldn't fly or anything. And I remember being so excited because I got out of the wheelchair and I was on crutches and I was so pleased with myself. But of course, she hadn't seen that progress. So she, and she's not one to cry in front of anybody. She, you know, broke down, was very upset. And when she gave me this lovely little ceramic pot, it was quite the kindest, loveliest thing. Because I think I'd thought... Well, do you think you're not witty and not pretty? Uh, yeah, really. Well, everybody at 18 does. Yeah. Even if they are fantastically witty and beautiful. And beautiful. You don't know that. So I want to put that little ceramic pot in there. It's funny, someone said you should put the arthritis in as something you want to bury. And I still have it, you know, off and on now. But no, again, taught me lots about resilience. I think we want lots of, you know, I'm I'm clearly, and I know I sound it, you know, I'm I'm privileged and I've had a, a very privileged upbringing. So I'm I'm very grateful for all that stuff mm. as well, so that I'm not just a another posh kid <laughs> trying to act. You know? And especially when, in fact, that pain and that discomfort led 
you to the moment where your mother revealed quite openly how much she loved you. Yes. Uh, having been a dragon for years. I mean, she's a social hand grenade. If you think she's a diplomat's wife, she used to come sort of flying into the kitchens and she'd go, Jesus, Jesus Christ, have you seen what the French ambassador's wife's wearing? <laughs> Christ, she should be on a street corner. <laughs> you know, you'd think, Mum, you're literally a swing door away from them. You know, she's fantastic. Uh, my brilliant. Fantastic. Yeah. It's a little ceramic pot. Do you still have it? I do, yes. It's on my dressing room table. Yeah, oh, I love gorgeous. it. I take it to, you know, whenever I go to the theatre, I mm. take that and I have a wonderful medallion that Judy Dench, oh, massive name drop, um, <laughs> gave me when we were at, Oh, she uh, gave you one as well. Oh, fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> but um, she, yeah, when we did uh, The Gift of the Gorgon at the mm. RSC and then it went on to the Windhams and she gave us this wonderful sunny head. She also, she used to smuggle me out there because she knew my dad years ago I think they dad was at Lambda and her brother Jeffrey was a uh, was an actor at one point I think but either way Jeffrey Dench was a great friend of my dad I Jeffrey worked with Jeffrey Kenny. Dench yes did you oh there we go so she knew and she said oh you spell your name like um a Jeffrey I used to know oh yeah yeah I yeah, know that's hmm. my dad and um and it was nice we we had a really nice connection I remember Peter Hall made her cry one day and because she's Judy Dench, nobody really knew what to do. And she went off into the loos. And I thought, well, somebody go and, you mm. know, so I thought, oh, fuck it, I'm going. So I went into the loos and sort of threw myself at her to hug mm. her and nearly smashed her head on the, <laughs> on the mirror thing above the sink in my enthusiasm. Um, and we had a chat and a cuddle. And then the next day she used to write you notes on... Uh, you know, the cards you get in tight... Well, you won't know. But in your packet of tights, it comes with a I nice card. Dame, so, yes, I do. You've done a mm. dame or two. You know. <laughs> and she'd write a lovely... And she, instead of giving that to me personally, she put it on the pin board so everybody could see. Oh. And she said, my darling Ella, you know, you were so sweet and thoughtful to go. But the medallion doesn't go in. Just the thing from Mummy goes in. Yes. Perhaps we could put her in. Wouldn't that be nice? I think everybody would. She's so gorgeous everyone would she's so naughty <laughs> on the last matinee you know the naughty matinee when everybody fucks around we swapped roles three of us just in a you know there's a bit we do that's not got lines or anything mm. and it's the most it's a tragedy by peter schaffer the gift of the gorgon it's it's a three hours of you know relentless greek tragedy michael <laughs> pennington and her giving their all and we were telling we swapped it round. And just, she was weeping with, you know, <laughs> laughter. She's so wonderful. Love her to bits. I had a friend who was on stage with her and she stood up and suddenly ran round the stage. And afterwards she said, what was that all about? And she said, oh, I was laughing so much. I was wetting myself and I had to spread it around. Oh, my God, <laughs> isn't that brilliant? Yes. Lovely. Well, OK, let's put that little pot in, which I'm sure mm. will remind you of all those wonderful things. Yes. You are witty, you are pretty. Mike, don't make me cry now. Stop it. Uh, i got to find another, haven't I? Uh, oh, Frith's letter. Yes. So, great Uncle Frith wrote me this letter once. He's the chap I referred to before, mm. this lovely old director and um, gay man, not that that matters at all to do with this story. When I worked with him, I mean, I was one of the worst secretaries anybody could have. So, <laughs> anyway, he did at one point, he was directing Shooting Star up at the Chester Gateway. And it had um, oh, Angela, oh, Leslie Phillips' wife in it. I suppose she was called Angela Phillips, possibly. I'm just looking for the poster. No, I didn't keep that one. Maybe it was Angela Phillips. 
Anyway, so she was in it and various other mad people. And he didn't want anyone knowing that we were related. I had to audition like everybody else. And he was rather hard on me, actually. But, I, you know, fair enough. He didn't support all that nepotism stuff. And he used to, because he was in his 90s by this point, he couldn't quite last the full day. So he would he would nod off <laughs> at about four and we'd start doing other plays and just see if he noticed. And he didn't ever. <laughs> but I still hadn't told anybody that he was my Uncle Frith. And one time he sort of awoke from his doze and said, Ella, Ella, darling, um, my smalls, I can't, at the hotel, they're not doing laundry. Would you, I've got a bag with me. Would you take my smalls back to your digs and wash them? I said, yeah, yeah, of course. And everyone's like, and then this lovely Nigel Barton came on and went, that is not okay. That is not okay to be asking just because you've got one of the smaller roles. You shouldn't be doing the director's laundry. I went, oh, no, no, I, it's complicated. It's fine. I, I really don't mind. I said, no, 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 it's actually, it's fine, honestly. So then, I mean, word got out and that was that. But anyway, he wrote me this letter because I had been a bit useless about money. And I should say, Frithy, he was a very, he was Frith Banbury, very well-known theatre producer and director. And he was the first one to employ Sidney Poitier and do an all-black production. And look him up. He's fabulous. So... He, for his memorial, uh, Simon Callow had been doing a book about him. So there was a huge deal at the Haymarket, huge memorial. And there was Patricia Rutledge and all these people doing readings, whatever. And my mum felt very strongly that I should be allowed to read what he asked me to read at his funeral and be allowed to say a few words about him. Mm. And Simon, I could, you know, was thought that was ridiculous. You know, what do you mean she's an actor? It hadn't heard me, didn't know what the point of that was. Uh, and really We've got famous people lined up here. What's going on? I Yeah, I mean, why are we bothering with this? So there was a lot of that. I felt a lot of that. Uh, so I did the reading, which was something he'd chosen that, of course, I've forgotten because I'm menopausal and also I partied a lot and I have no brain cells. Uh, <laughs> and then... I thought I'll say, you know, so I said the story about him falling asleep. And then there was one time when I was trying to get into drama school and I was so obnoxious and I hadn't really learnt the piece well properly. And he'd come to coach me, which, you know, is very kind of him. And I was, I said, line, you know, about 15 times. I couldn't remember it. Mm. And I remember he picked up his very smart Burberry Macintosh threw it over his arm and went, I am not a fucking stage manager. Um, <laughs> waltzed off. Anyway, so I saw that one. And then I thought, fuck it, I'm reading the letter. So this letter, finally we get there, sorry. Uh, you know, dear Estella, lot of stuff about um, money. I know you're not too good in that regard. And I really encourage you to look after your pennies and the pounds take care of themselves, etc. And then he gets on to, but most of all, my darling, do not let your heart, or your cunt for that matter, bugger up your career. <laughs> and that was his final missive. And I thought, right, so I'm going to say this. I'm going to say this in front of everybody mm. in this Haymarket thing. And it was brilliant. I mean, just, I mean, I mean total cheap laugh to use the C word. But he, it's there written in yeah. his, on his beautiful headed paper. And I keep that in a beautiful little letter writing case. You know, the old version with the blotting pad, mm. ink pad and, and a lovely chest. And I will keep that forever and have it framed. And he's all over this room. I've got pictures of him. It's lovely. What a name, though. Uh, where yeah. are those names now? We want some more Friths in this world, surely. I mean, Frith Barry. So my <sighs> son is, his middle name is 
Frith. Great. And of course, Frith being the chap he is, when I introduced Will to Frith and I said, well, you know, here's William Frith. Frith! Frithy, what a beautiful baby. And he's very <laughs> musical. And then he started playing the piano to him. Do you see? He likes the music. He's like nine fucking weeks old. He'd mm. like anything. You know, and, um, <laughs> that was it. And to give darling Frith my love, that did no, might as well not have been called Will. He just decided. <laughs> Frith was the kind of person that he was often referred to in people's autobiographies or whatever. He said, do read, do read Rodney Ackland's book. I'm on page 169. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's all, he just goes straight to the yeah. index. You know, couldn't give a Brilliant. shit about anything else uh, love him so his letter i had a similar experience not with a relative but uh i worked with anthony quayle when i was quite young and yes he amazingly wanted me to sing at his memorial service oh and i was completely unknown in comparison to alec guinness and peggy ashcroft and yeah who were there who were there they attendance. were who were also doing readings and it was oh, just terrifying. Oh, wow. So you, there's you having to sit. Terrifying. And it's like, who? That was exactly it. People saying, oh, oh, yeah. who are you? Yeah. But I have a brilliant memory, a really beautiful memory of Alec Guinness actually coming up to me and saying, oh, wow. I can see why he asked you. Oh, isn't that wonderful? Amazing. I remember doing a, the recruiting officer. Greg Wise was in it. And his girlfriend at the time was Janet Mateer. He's now been married to Emma Thompson for years. But mm. I knew Janet Mateer from this stage, you know, and she was in dungarees and she's very tall and I'm five foot one and a bit <laughs> and she came up to me and sort of stopped me in a corridor and pointed at me and went you were good and then walked off <laughs> thrilled yeah. you know absolutely thrilled yeah but how lovely to have that letter and to keep it yeah I found a photograph just the other day of Tony Quayle oh that he'd signed and written for my mum oh really so how did you initially meet him was it a show? <laughs> I was doing Tom Jones, the very first play I'd ever done professionally. I was playing Tom Jones in Tom Jones, and he came to see wow. uh, one of the girls who was in it, an actress called Natalie Wilde. And she told us all that he was coming to see it. And it's strange that she talked about sort of the, the last matinee being the naughty one. It was the last matinee. Oh, no. And she said, could everybody please behave themselves? And we did a really great show. And afterwards, he came backstage and knocked on my dressing room door and, and popped his head in. And I said, hello. And he went, hello, I'm, I'm Tony Quayle. I said, yes, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I know that bit. Yeah. And uh, he said, I thought you were lovely. You want to join my company? <gasps> Just like that. Just like that? Mm -hmm. Oh, how awesome. I know. Oh, and then I imagine you, like, in The Dresser. Oh, we filmed that. We actually filmed it. He did a documentary about it. Really? We went to Paddington Station and we stood on the platform and he stood on the bridge. Yeah. And shouted, stop that train! Train! Oh, my God! He had the great voice to do it. Oh, sis. I mean, I was so lucky to work with brilliant people in the theatre and I absolutely didn't miss a thing. No. I was down in those wings. I knew I would learn more being there, watching. Oh, happy days. Oh, Derek Griffiths. Mm. Now, he has a way where he could fart on command. <laughs> so if it was a particularly poignant moment, he would <laughs> fart. And it was in the round and you couldn't really get away from him. The little shit. And then... Matilda Ziegler, she was brilliant. She actually saved my performance because I was just crippled with nerves and feeling overwhelmed and feeling like I was out of my depth. And I'd gone to quite a shit drama school called the London Theatre School because I was still on crutches and still, you know, and covered in eczema as well. And, you know, I was, a, you know, I remember Guildhall saying when I auditioned for them and they said, how do you expect to be an actress if you're disabled? 
Wow. Uh, which, of course, you couldn't say now. And Rada, bless them, three years in a row, I was still kind of coming every time on crutches, three years in a row, they got me down for the weekend to see if I'd got any better and I could move, uh, you know, and, and three years in a row, I was still unable to move. But, you know, I got there in the end. Mm. But anyway, Matilda was so darling to me. You know, she was playing a very major part and she said... Uh, right, we're gonna we're gonna go when the theatre's dark, and we're just going to play around. And she she gave me her time. She went through every scene of mine. She, I mean, it just chokes me up thinking about it. And she just let me sort of loosen up and be free with it. And I think I felt like every time it was my scene to rehearse, I was embarrassed about taking time from other people. I was, oh, I was just so crippled mm. with the fear of it all, and sort of thinking. I know I've said that I want to be an actress since I was little and everybody in my family's an actress and an actor, but maybe I'm actually really shit. Uh, <laughs> you know, and I don't know. And now I'm going to find out. But it actually, it turned out to be the best thing I'd ever done. Mm. But I think if someone had told me at the beginning of my career that it's not going to be made up of these parts you think you're going to play, is it? No. We just go wherever... You have to go, you yeah, know, yeah, and that's, exactly, yeah. but you know, the, all that training we do with all the classical, I got a classical diploma in acting and, I, you know, I was dying to do Mrs. Warren's profession and, you know, and all the Shakespeare and I was so excited. It's like, oh, right. Oh no, you don't get to do those plays. You're going <laughs> to, no, you're going to clean on a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, but that's okay. I like, I'm, I'm glad I'm still working. No, no. I mean, yeah, that's the thing. We, we keep going. Yeah, we do. Right. What number am I at? There can't be any left. We've had the bad thing, but we've had your mum's pot and we've had Fritz's letter and the foreign office. So we've got one left. One left. Mm. Well, I think it better be Dad's cine reel. I have the cine reel that was taken when he auditioned for Zeffirelli for his Romeo and Juliet. He was auditioning to play Paris, a part that eventually went to Michael York, but was my father's. So he was offered the role and there were several messages left with my mum, his wife at the time. Mm. But Dad used to go walk about. Ah. So he didn't get back to those messages, all messages from his agent, for 72 hours, by which time everybody was so exasperated with him that it went elsewhere. Oh, no. And he would still trot that story out, you know, in his 70s, saying, you know, that's what <laughs> killed his career and he got blacklisted. He did get blacklisted by Ritchie for something else, actually. <laughs> so, so he was in the mouse. Can I tell you that story? What yeah. he was blacklisted for? So he, he was um, <laughs> he was in the mousetrap playing the husband. And it was in the days where I think now there's a bit of a rule. You can only do the role, can't you, for a year and then mm. somebody else's turn. Uh, it was in the days you could do it forever. So he, he was in his second year and it was going to end. In three weeks, it was going to be over. And, oh, he was also in things like Zed Cars. And the thing he was most well known for was Dixon of Doc Green mm. playing PC Roberts. So three weeks before the end of the mousetrap run for him, he decided he wanted to go to Mallorca and have a break. Uh, so, <laughs> mm, uh, so he got his stepbrother, Tony, to ring in and say he was sick. And he went to Mallorca and he walked into the director on the beach. Oh, Lord. Literally walked into the director. I mean, and Dad would still moan that it was only because the understudy was so fucking awful. That's why I was blacklisted. Oh, so then he got God. he got blacklisted for that. I mean, Dad, Dad was a professional actor for 12 years in the end and stopped because he said, I'm fed up with being a prostitute. He said, it, it makes me feel like a prostitute. 
you know, and I do see his point. Uh, he's very opinionated. I mean, he died, sadly, during the pandemic it, and in Spain, so I never got to go to the funeral and I'm still not quite registering that he's gone. Mm. But but um, I remember him coming to see Hardware. That was another sitcom I did. Yeah. With Martin Freeman, Peter Serafanovich, mm. and Ken Morley. Naughty Ken Morley. <laughs> and lovely Susan Earle. And Ryan Cartwright, who went off to be a sort of Hollywood star mm. in something called Alibi. It was quite the cast. It was a fabulous cast. Anyway, Daddy came over to, and thought he'd come to a recording. And it was being directed by Ben Kellett at the time, who does Mrs. Brown and all that. He's very good with multi-camera, Ben Kellett. Mm. So dad, dad comes and he was displeased with the shenanigans from Martin Freeman and Peter Serafanovich. Now, they were very good at sparking off each other. But it's hard to be on camera because the, you've chosen the shot. There's, you know, as you know, when you get that camera script through, you're like, well, I better not fuck that up mm. because camera four's got it and I've got to do a twin shot there. So I better not, you know, duck or whatever it is, mm. you know. But, you know, Martin and, and Peter used to sort of freewheel quite a bit and, you, you know, keep the cameramen on their toes as we try <laughs> the vision mixer. It's all all right now because they can slave everything. Oh, can they? They record every camera. All the time. All the time. So cuts aren't as crucial because it's digital. You can store everything. Oh, of course. So, in fact, you can recut it afterwards. But then the cuts that were made were the were cuts. Were the that... cuts and that was that. So when did that change? What year was as that? As all the cameras went digital. Oh, yeah, okay. God, I am fucking old, aren't I? <laughs> anyway, so Dad, after that, you know, because he wanted to show that he knew he was talking about, I don't know. Anyway, he decided that what everybody needed was a lecture from him. Each actor received a lecture. <laughs> I mean, bear in mind, I was receiving these from, you know, six years old mm. on the back of an envelope. Similarly, everybody got their notes. Now, Martin, come here. Um, you know, and then and then tells Martin Freeman what he should. Peter, now you're very naughty, you two. You should, you know. And uh, then decided to tell Ben Kellett how he should have directed oh that no. thing. So we get to the first day for the next episode, you know, and you get your Monday off, don't you? Come in Tuesday, it's time to do the next step and you do your read-through. We're sitting around, I'm waiting, you know, we're all waiting for the read-through start and I'm thinking, who are we waiting for? Is there another guest artist who hasn't arrived, you know? And then Ben went, sorry, just waiting for one person. Ella, is he on his way? Who? What? Your father, I'm assuming he's going to come and take over because he had <laughs> oh, enough no. notes for everybody on Friday night. <laughs> I am so sorry. And if you ever see him again, just say the words, the mousetrap to him. Yeah, <laughs> damn it. I'll tell him in the pearly gates one day. <laughs> um, yeah, really humiliating mm. for me, that. It's kind of turned out like everything I'm burying has <laughs> been story of adversity. So I think Daddy's cine reel, because that is a precious thing to have. Isn't it, Jeff? And I'm glad I have. And he is talented. I did watch him do The Bear, Chekhov's The Bear, and was riveted. You know, it was, I think, telly, not his media. No, but if anything, this reel will show you that even really good actors put in certain situations will become wooden out of the fear of it. The fear. And it doesn't mean that you're not a good but actor. But you're bad. Oh, my God, I have to do one last thing. Mm. So Daddy, showing off about his acting, he's in Mallorca running his bar. He hasn't acted now for 30, 40 years or something. And they're filming Dream Team, some awful thing about football. <laughs> and the, they're all there, all the production crew and everything, and everybody's in a state. Uh, and Dad, you know, what's going on? Oh, we're filming. Oh, I was an actor. Mm. Oh, well, actually... The actor who is meant to play the agent has dropped dead and 
we need somebody to step in. Could you be on set at 5am tomorrow? Bear in mind, this is probably 3am. Everyone's pissed. Yes. What? Yeah, falling off a log. My professional. <laughs> yeah, watch me. Well, we did. And there was a moment where he had to put his hand on the footballer's shoulder and there was Thunderbirds again. Bang. You know, and I, I was reminded of our woodenness. God bless him. Bless him. But he, he was fantastic, bloke, and I wish he was here. I really do. It was fucking awful that the last years I could have seen him, I couldn't because of the pandemic. Yeah. You know? But then he just died. His heart went suddenly. And uh, mm. anyway, shit happens. It, it does. <laughs> it does. But we have those memories, at least. We have fantastic memories. They're all locked away in a time capsule <laughs> now. There we are. Forever. Safe. But they really are, aren't they? Because I could listen to this in 20 years. Yes. And there they are. When I can't remember. When we're in the old people's home. And I'm at the lovely old people's home with you, <laughs> talking about how we both did Corrie together. Spent the whole time trying to remember other actors' names. It was, what's his name? He was the husband of, um, oh, it was a lovely you actor. You know. Marvellous. <laughs> Marvellous. So skillful. Uh, Ella, thank you so much for talking to me about these wonderful things. It's been really lovely to chat with you. Thank you. It's been great talking to you, and I'm sorry I went on so. <laughs> You have been listening to My Time Capsule with me, Mike Fenton-Stevens, and my lovely guest, Ella Kenyon. You may be wondering why I didn't explore the matter of her childhood with Boris Johnson. Well, I feel we've heard quite enough about that man recently, so I was happy to move on, as I hope you were. But just to clarify one other thing from this episode, lesbian sex... Yes, I did say lesbian sex has never been illegal, but it's nothing to do with Queen Victoria's prudishness, apparently. It's quite interesting, actually, but I won't go into it all here. Look it up. Although it did lead me to this piece of information from a man called Jim from the Netherlands, and I quote... The habit of bundling male homosexuals at the foot of the pyre when dispatching a heretic to make a fire foul enough for a witch to burn on is the origin of the American term faggot. Yeah, charming. Thanks, Jim. Anyway, back to the podcast. Please rate and review and subscribe to this podcast. And do tell your friends. We're on social media if you want to follow us and chat. And the theme music is available on Spotify. It's by Pass the Peas Music. This cast-off production for Acast was produced by John Fenton Stevens. OK, I'll leave you with the best joke on Twitter this week, in my opinion. Although it only really works for people who remember the 80s. I'm on the Adam Ant diet. It's easy. It's just one rule. Don't chew ever. Don't chew ever. Yeah, once again, look it up. Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 